Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The Burdens of Paul, and it is part of the Life of Paul Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can check us out at our website at bccma.org, or you can always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. 2 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. I'm talking today about the burdens of Paul. That, I couldn't think, I, tr- I had to work hard to think of uh, the most boring title I could think of. <laughs> That's as boring as I could get, the burdens of Paul. <laughs> but hopefully it'll get interesting in, in momentarily. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now you can go back and read that chapter. I already read it to you last week. The other big section of that chapter where Paul talks about all his trials and all his tribulations and all the things he went through in his physical body and in his life. And, and, and he caps it off by, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Now I want you just to, to circle the word concern. It means burden. And we're going to go back to that at the very end today. Acts chapter 18 verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them because he was a tent maker. As they were there, he stayed and he worked with them. Now, I wanted to give you that verse because I want you to see that Paul was a regular guy in a way. Uh, that even though he had this great revelation, and, and, and there are things that lead us to believe he had a great uh, superior intellect, that Paul was not a, a, really a professional preacher. He was not, as we would imagine, someone who, like today, we have vocational ministry, like I'm a vocational minister. And, and so he, he did not, he, he didn't uh, always, he didn't most of the time get a salary. He was more like you probably in his life than he is like me because he, he, he's a person who much of his life he had to go to work every day and make a living but still but, but had this overwhelming passion to take the gospel all over the world and so I'm not saying you are to, you're going to be Apostle Paul even more, even any more than I'm going to be an Apostle Paul. But there's a pattern there. And there's, a, there's something there that I want you to hear in this message today. And, and, and hang with me because we're going to get back to that thought. And we, if we do this right, we're going to end up there today talking about that calling, that divine assignment, that holy ambition that marked Paul's life, that caused him to get on fire and go all over the, the, the Asia and all over the Middle East, telling people, going every, every chance he got, every way he, every opportunity he got, telling people about the good news that the king of the Jews was now the king of the world. That was his message. Now, in the 21st century, we're talking about burdens today because that word, that, that word concern and that word pressure mean burden. In the 21st century, we've made an industry out of stress management, haven't we, and stress avoidance. We're always trying to figure out a way to lessen the effect of the burdens of life. Um, 
I was uh, running on the treadmill several years ago in the gym, and along, you know, how you're with all these other people, and the television screens are in front of you, and on the television screen came a commercial advertising losing weight and getting in shape via electrodes. And it showed people sitting on the couch watching TV with electrodes attached to their body and supposedly getting in shape and losing weight without moving. <laughs> and here we're all sweating and on the treadmill thinking, let's cut, the, let's go home. Some Ben and Jerry's and uh, bonbons and a, and a large Coke and hook up the electrodes, <laughs> right? No, life is burdensome and burden avoidance doesn't work and most burden management approaches don't work. One thing is definitely true about Apostle Paul. He wasn't drawn to Christianity with a promise that it would remove or lessen his burdens. If you want to write a best-selling book to Christians, create a compelling argument that just believing can remove stress. <laughs> Here's what the great apostle learned when he went to church and went to the next steps class. Here's what he learned, Acts chapter 9. But the Lord said, go, for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my message to the Gentiles and to the kings as well as to the people of Israel, and I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. You think, that, you think we should put that in our next up class? <laughs> Welcome to Bethany. Let me show you how much you are going to suffer <laughs> by being a member of this church. <laughs> Today's sermon's not about lightening your load, but about making you stronger and finding a burden that matters. See, Paul understood and he grappled. I'm going to talk about three burdens that he grappled with, that you grapple with. Three burdens. Three burdens of life. And a fourth burden that he enthusiastically embraced. But three that I say are unavoidable. I believe the fourth burden is the key to successfully carrying the other burdens. But let's talk about the first three first. Now we've got some... Uh, We've got some illustrations here today of burdens, okay? The burden that I want to talk about first is the burden of concerns. The burden of concerns. You might think, well, Paul, he received the Holy Spirit. He had this dynamic calling from God, and God had ordained him to shape the Western civilization, and God had ordained him to bring the king of the earth, so God must have given him his own private jet and servants and, 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 and $20,000 night hotels. He must have not had to worry about making a living or all of the things that we have to worry about because he was God's special guy. Let me let you in on the secret. Being God's special guy is not all it's cracked up to be. In that regard, we get a hint for the burden of his, I'm talking about the burdens, when I say the burdens of concerns, I'm talking about the burdens of natural life. We get a hint of this burden of natural life in Acts chapter 18, verse 1. Paul had gone to 
from Athens to Corinth. I believe it was his first missionary journey. And there he met, the Bible says, a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontius, who had recently come from Italy with his wife and Priscilla. And I read this to you before, but I want you to see it again because it makes this point. Because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome, Paul went to see them because he was a tent maker as they were, and he stayed there and worked with them. Stop thinking that holy people get houses and relationships and money supernaturally. Paul had to have a house. He had to have a place to live. He had to have friends. And he had to have money. Just like you do. Jesus in the parable of the soils acknowledged the hazard to one's kingdom focus on the burden of natural life. Jesus knew that you would have the burden of natural life. He said in Mark chapter 4, verse 18, the seed that fell among the thorns represents others who hear God's word, but are all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life. I mean, I'm on my way, on my way into the sanctuary this morning, Brandy, or, or on my way to our meeting a little while ago, and Brandy stops and said, we had a flood last night in the kitchen. Mysterious flood, like 10 gallons of water, nobody knows where it came from. Really? That's what, I, that's what I just learned on the way in. When, when you have five buildings, we have five buildings, there's something blowing up every day. <laughs> every week, something's blowing up. Something's leaking. Something's not working. We had, a, we had a boiler go out downtown last week. We'll be taking up an offering at the end of the service. <laughs> The burdens of life. There's a few takeaways I guess we could have from the college admission scandal that happened this week involving uh, Felicity Huffman and Lori Laughlin and at least 31 other super wealthy parents who paid enormous sums of money to try to ensure their children got into universities like Stanford and Yale and University of Southern California. One of the takeaways, and there's probably a few, one is that rich people worry just as much as the rest of us. They worry about their kids. They worry that their kids are going to make it. L listen to what Justin Bieber told Vogue magazine in February. He said, just thinking about music stresses me out. <laughs> I've been successful since I was 13, so I didn't really have a chance to find out who I was apart from what I did. I just needed some time to evaluate myself, who I am, what I want out of my life, my relationships, who I want to be, stuff that when you're so immersed in the music business, you just kind of lose sight of. Now, some of you think, if I could be as successful as Justin Bieber, I would have no concerns. I would have no stress. I would have nothing to worry about if I could just be that successful. If I could just have that much money. Concerns of life are a burden you must bear. Remember, we had uh, Grant Williams was a left, he was a backup left tackle for the Patriots when they went to their first Super Bowl. And we had him speak at a men's breakfast here one time. And Matt Light, the starting left tackle, got hurt. And so uh, 
Grant Williams started in that game and played that whole game. And I remember I was struck when he came to speak and he told about his experience. And I remember, you know, I was thinking, that's just got to be the most awesome thing in your life. You're a backup player and you get to play in the, in the, and win the Super Bowl. It must be the greatest feeling ever. And, you know, he told us of what a tedious night that was. He's, he, he, he had to get tickets for his, 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 his parents were divorced. And so he had to get tickets for them. And their, their, their families were fighting wife and ex-wife. And they were all fighting. And there was all this stress. And, the, and Nanny, the grandma, came to the game. And she got sick. And so after the game, instead of going to the Super Bowl party, he had to spend the night in the emergency room with Nanny. <laughs> it's because we get this idea that people that have, you know, no, it's the reason that they kill themselves sometimes, literally. They kill themselves because they, they thought if they got to the top of the mountain that they would, they would have no more burdens. They thought that life wouldn't be tedious anymore. They, they thought it would, everything would be wonderful, but it's not the way it is. The burdens of concern for natural life, that's the, the, it's, the, it's the maintenance and upkeep of your stuff. The care and connection with the people that you love. It's the concern and response to this country that you live in and the world that you inhabit. And, and you kind of totally want to tell me I'm not political, but you worry, you worry that the socialists are going to take over. <laughs> you worry that the Green New Deal is going to ruin your life. Yes, I know you do. <laughs> uh, it's the concern. It, it's the stewardship of your physical body that you occupy. I never dreamed I would have the conversations that I'm having now about my physical body with other people. I, just, I used to hear the older people having those conversations. I thought I would never have those conversations. <laughs> never talk about doctor's visits and physical therapist visits. It, 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 kids, it doesn't get better. You, you, you're peeking out right now. Then there's the upkeep of friendship and intimate relationships. I believe there's value in the Buddhist doctrine of detachment. You know, you've probably heard of that. If you haven't, don't worry about it. Don't bother to study it. It's detaching. Peace comes by being detached from all burdens and concerns. But remember, don't forget Buddha abandoned his wife and his child. So it's not a good plan. You can't build a church or a culture or a community on what Buddha did. Integration is the biblical plan, not attachment. Paul in his letter to Galatians, as well as many other places, made it crystal clear. He made something crystal clear about how we are to bear the burdens of concerns. God, I love the Bible. Oh, I love the Bible because God always has a plan. God has a plan, and it's better than yours, it's better than mine. And God has a plan for helping you to bear the concerns of life, and it's not to become detached and get, get rid of them. The, 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 you do, not, do not think, well, I'm not going to have any concerns. Paul didn't, because those concerns are your blessings. That toddler, that rug rat that meets you at the door and calls you daddy and mommy, that's a blessed, that's a blessed concern, that you have in your life. And God has given you that to be concerned about. It's, a, it's the blessing of God. You know? We, we just repainted our basement. And we got it all fixed up. Well, if I didn't have a basement, I, I wouldn't have, we wouldn't have had to spend the time doing that. But, but I got a basement. I got a finished basement. So thank God for finished basements. Amen? 
Hallelujah. Praise God for finished basements. <laughs> but Paul in his letter to the Galatians, as well as many other places, made it crystal clear that living in a caring community of Christians is central to managing the burdens of natural life. Galatians 6 2. Carry each other's burdens. And this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. That's talking about natural burdens. Uh, it, the, word, the word burden there means a weight. It's from the root word that means to walk. And so it was translated in some places as feet. So it's talking about the concerns that are connected with our everyday walking around life. But in a caring Christ-following community, the trustworthy person across the room that may repair your car or your plumbing at either no charge or at an affordable price and you can trust them, the couple that you exchange babysitting services with, the people that drop off food when you're sick or they show up to help you move with their pickup truck, they are Paul's recommended response to handling the burdens of natural life. It doesn't work perfectly. We're, we're still in this life. We're in this, we have this treasure on earth in vessels. So it doesn't work perfectly. But perfect is not necessary. Good enough is all we need. <laughs> so the church of Jesus Christ and the Christ community works better than anything I know. Amen? Like, like, like Chuck Colson said, and I've said it 100, 150 times at least, the church is kind of like the ark. If it wasn't for the storm on the outside, you couldn't stand the stink on the inside. <laughs> the second burden that I want to talk to you about is the burden of distractions. Now, I know you think you're going to get rid of all distractions. Good luck. Good luck on that one. Distractions are mainly the things in life you don't have to do but you do them because they keep you sane. They help you navigate the tedium of natural life. Paul refers to the burden of distraction in the context of being married versus remaining single. By the way, you're not Paul. Paul said, I, I have given up marriage so I can serve the Lord. Here's what he says. But there's certainly no sin in getting married, he said in 1 Corinthians 7, 28. Whether you're a virgin or not, all I'm saying is that when you marry, you take an additional stress in an already stressful time. And I want to spare you if possible. Then he goes on to say in verse 35 that you may serve the Lord without distraction. So he's saying that marriage is a necessary stress for most people many people, that lessens the tedium of life. It can, but it's also, see, it's, it's always the catch-22 with these things that we call distractions. And I believe marriage, I'm not going to talk about marriage much today. Marriage is a metaphor, can be a metaphor for things that bring us, that meet our physical needs and our psychological needs. You're, see, as much as you might want to say, I'm going, to dis I'm going to remove all distractions, you are not wired to live without blessed distractions. You're not wired to live with no breaks. You're not wired to live without things 
that you do that really don't have a purpose. I mean, I, my wife is the hardest working person that I know. She's the hardest working person I know, but I have actually caught her playing bejeweled. And, and I don't just mean for five minutes. Extended period of time. She's playing I, I, in other, other games. But I, I don't know what they are. Because I don't play games like that. Everybody needs something in their life that's a break from life. But you need to understand what they are. You need to understand their distractions. You're not wired to live without distractions, but be careful that they don't become concentrations and absorptions. The problem is when there is an imbalance. John Bloom said the other day, since the fall of man, people have had trouble staying focused, but we are living today in an age of unprecedented distractions. This burden of distractions is the one you have to watch. It's the one you have to monitor because distractions... And, and, and silly things will take over your life. Trivial, silly things, nonsense that you need a, you need a little bit of and you need a, an hour here and there of or you need a day here and there of or you need a week now and then of. Things that are distractions will take over your life and they will become your idols and they will steal your, 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 they will steal your usefulness in the world. And your usefulness in the kingdom of God because you've given yourself over to your distractions. According to social scientists, that ping that I hear which signals someone has liked my Twitter posts causes an endorphin to rush through my brain and bring me a sense of pleasure and causes me to feel significant. Somebody liked my Twitter post. I am somebody. <laughs> It's not evil, but I must see it for what it is. My mother had a motto, no Bible, no breakfast. She, her, goal, her, 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 her discipline was to read her Bible before she had her breakfast. You know what I've had to start doing? I, I can't find two, two letters to start with a B. So it doesn't sound as cool to say, no Bible, no social media. Because that's what I want to go to when I first wake up. I want to check my Twitter feed. I want to see if anybody liked my post. I want to see if anything interesting is going on in the world. I want to I see what political arguments they're having today. I want to see the, the people throwing up on each other. I want to get some more sermon quotes. A lot of good sermon quotes in Twitter. <laughs> but boy, I, 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 you, you, you get up and you can check your Twitter. And you, you meant to only just five minutes. And then you're going to read the Bible. And next, next thing you know, you've been, you've been reading posts for 30 minutes. It happens like that. Your life is, your life, the things that matter in life are being taken away by the distraction of life. These distractions aren't evil, 
But even the purest one can be the, become the main thing in your life. And the devil loves to turn our diversions into addictions. We don't know much about Paul's distractions. We don't know much about that. But we suspect when he, if I, when I, if I read, I think I'm reading between the lines when he talks about being lonely. And he talks about when he was in, in prison, Onesimus came and off refreshed me. I don't think he refreshed him by, by, by talking theology. I, I don't think so. I, I think they talked about something trivial. I think they talked about something mundane. I believe they, I believe they, I believe they might have played chess. Or they might have played uh, checkers or something. I, I don't... There's, is, there, is that a better game? I don't know. <laughs> They, 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 maybe they, they got outside and played horseshoes. I don't know. But they did something that refreshed them. It's okay. Find something. It helps make you human to have something that refreshes you. But remember, it's a burden of distraction. You've got to come back from it pretty quick. The third burden that I want to talk about today is a more serious burden. And it is the burden... The burden of sin. Say, well, Paul didn't know anything about that. Oh, yes, he did. He said in Romans chapter 7, verse 15, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. I, your, your mouth is dropping. Apostle Paul? Apostle Paul said that? Apostle, the greatest apostle ever said, I don't really understand myself? For I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Now, I know all of you are like that, right? How many of you, how many of you relate to that verse? Raise both hands. Raise both hands. I don't really understand myself, or I want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. But if I know that what I'm doing is wrong, this shows that I agree that the law is good, so I'm not the one doing it. It is sin. Living in me. Sin is an awful burden that we carry. David, the ancient king, would write, I was born into sin and I was shaped in iniquity. Humans for all time. We thought a political philosophy or a belief system would make us immune from the evil. Uh, so we, we sociologically, we divide up. We divide up into different belief systems and we think they will make us immune from evil if we, if we get the right belief system. But have you noticed that none of us can make our own people behave? Have you noticed that? Have you noticed the conservatives can't make their guys behave? The, the liberals can't make their people behave? The, the, the church people, we can't make our people behave. Have you noticed that we have this extreme problem with bad behavior? It caused... Alexander Solzhenitsyn had this revelation when he was incarcerated in the Russian gulags that the cruelest guards were the guards that had been elevated from prisoner to trustee. Logic would say that if you were a prisoner in the Russian gulags, that if you had a chance to treat your fellow prisoners compassionately, you would. But that's not what happened. 
he noticed that the ex-prisoners who were elevated to be trusted to be guards were the cruelest and meanest of all. And it caused him to say this in his writings. He said, if there were only, if there were only evil people somewhere insidiously committing evil deeds, and it were necessary only to separate them from the rest of us and destroy them, but the line dividing good and evil cuts through the heart of every human being. And who is willing to destroy a piece of his own heart? Into the suppression of what theologians call, C.I. Schofield called, the inborn tendency to do evil steps, the great apostle Paul, lifting up the cross of Jesus Christ. For the forgiveness of our sins. And now I'm not, I'm not saying that Paul, we find no record of him ever committing scandalous sin. Believe me. Believe me, they were looking for an excuse to kill him. They were looking for an excuse to get rid of him. If he had been a womanizer or doing some of the other horrible things that are socially unacceptable, they would have been all over it like ugly on an ape. No. Well, I don't believe that happened because Paul learned how to, to use the cross of Jesus for the forgiveness of our sins, the Holy Spirit for the managing of our sinfulness. And go ahead and read, uh, after I read, read Romans 8. And, he, and, and the community of believers was so important for the human dimension of love and refreshment and instruction and mentoring and modeling and reminding that we all need to carry the burden of sin. Once again, once again, I come back to Christian community as a place that's supposed to help Pastor Phil and, and you and every one of you to carry the burden of sin so it doesn't destroy us. That we keep coming back to the cross and the Bible says we're to confess our sins one to another and pray for one another that we may be healed. So don't pretend this burden of sin that doesn't exist and don't, don't act like it doesn't exist in you. If, it, if, if Paul said, I don't do what I want to do, how much more do those of us in this room need to confess that? And be honest about that. And if we'll be honest about that toward one another, and if we'll open up our hearts to one another, and we quit gossiping about somebody else's sin, and we'll start talking about our own to one another, we can have help, and we can have healing, and we can have hope, and we can win. Say that. We can win. We can win this battle of sin in our lives if we stay close to the cross. I need another fellow faith journey mate to serve me the cup of communion to remind me of the awful power of sin but at the same time asserting the superior power of the cross of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. You're the man. Now, we're going to look at one more burden. The final burden. The burden that you don't have to pick up. You can leave this one on the, on the table. You're not going to not have the burden of concern. I don't believe you can live without the burden of distraction. And you're not going to escape and live without the burden of sin. But this one, you can leave at church. And you can leave in, at the sanctuary this morning. You don't have to carry this one out. Let me read the, the verse of Scripture. Acts chapter 20, verse 22. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. This is toward the end of Paul's life. This is, the, this is going to be his last journey. He's about to be arrested when he goes to Jerusalem. And he will eventually be shipped to Rome. And there, eventually, Nero needs someone to blame the burning of Rome on. And he blames, he decides to make Christians the scapegoat. 
And they carry Paul outside the city one day, and they beheaded him. This is the beginning of that. But listen to what he says. I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. If only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. Underline those words. Complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. The task of testifying to the gospel of grace. I'm talking about, as you can already see it on the projection, the burden of ministry. It's optional. You don't have the capacity for it, by the way. You don't have time. You don't have time for this burden because of these three. You don't have the desire for these burdens, this burden because of these three. This burden is an imposition. This burden seems unnecessary. It requires divine math. This burden of ministry, this burden of finding your divine assignment, your holy ambition, why you're put on the earth, serving others, you don't have time for it. You don't have the capacity. It takes supernatural action to be able to pick up this burden and still manage the other three. Another response should be, I'll pick that burden of holy ambition, divine assignment, after everything settles down. That's another response you might have. You know, I've never known a person who consciously refused to serve God throughout their life, though, who suddenly started becoming a difference maker in their retirement. I've never seen that. Have you ever seen that? That someone did not serve others throughout their life. And then when they retired, they were ablaze with, 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 with effectiveness in serving others. The first queen of Elizabeth asked a man to go abroad for her on a business matter, the story goes. He said, I sincerely wish I could, but I can't. My own business is so demanding, it would suffer if I left. The queen replied to this man, sir, if you'll attend to my business, I will take care of yours. He took that trip for her, and when he got back, she not only had taken care of his business, it was better off than when he took care of it himself. If you take care of his business, if you take care of the king's business, he will take care of yours. That's the principle. First of all, the burden of ministry, the burden of ministry is the exact thing that Christ was talking about when he said in Matthew 16, verse 24, if any man... If any one of you wants to be my follower, turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. This burden is the burden of the cross. This is not the dimension and manifestation of the cross that forgives you of your sins. But this is the manifestation of the cross that gives you your divine assignment that gives you your holy ambition. Now, this cross is not the burden of concerns. Now, some people think it is. Oh, my, my cross is 
all these bills I have to pay. No, that's not, that's not the cross that Jesus said to bear. You've got to bear that cross. You've got to bear those burdens, but that's not the cross. The, the, it's not the burden of your distractions. The, the cross is not the, the burden of sin. I, I've, I've known people that felt that their cross was the strong sinful desire they had for something forbidden. And literally, I've had people tell me this is my cross to bear, this, this desire that I have. No. Your cross is your divine assignment. Jesus, Jesus, when Jesus hung on this cross, he forgave sin. And that's the, that is a primary purpose of this cross, is the forgiveness of your sin. When Jesus hung on this cross, he forgave our sins. But he didn't just forgive sins when he hung on the cross. Jesus looked down at John and he said, Behold your mother. He gave out an assignment from the cross. He gave out a divine assignment. The cross is your divine assignment. The cross is what gives you purpose. Your house, your car, your mortgage, even your marriage doesn't give you purpose in life. Your, 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 your hobbies, your golfing and your clubbing and whatever, boating, whatever, that's not why you, God put you on this planet. <laughs> Nothing wrong with it. Some of those things aren't, aren't necessarily evil. Watch the clubbing. But <laughs> but the cross is not your sin. It's your divine assignment. It's what God has called. And it gives you purpose. Now, this is, this, is not, this is not just something that God did because, oh, I got so much to do. You know, I'm up here in heaven. I got so much. I, I am just overloaded with stuff to do. I got to get these humans to work and help me get all this done. No, no, no. God did not need you doing his work. God's got angels that can out perform you at any task you might be doing today. God's got, God's got heavenly creatures that can out-love you, out-serve you, out-sweep you, out-preach you, out-everything you. God doesn't give you this cross because he needs some way to get his work done and he's just desperate for help. No, 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 no. It's way better than that, guys. God gives you a purpose because it gives you meaning. It makes your life matter. Oh, this is, this is good, even if you don't, don't think so. <laughs> it makes your life matter. Somebody, a, a man this morning before church was telling me about this ministry they're doing to somebody in need and how God is just moving and God is just transforming people's life. And I could tell when he's telling me he's just so lit up because of what God is doing through their efforts. And they're helping somebody and helped them yesterday and, and the leaks in the past. And, and, and it's, just, it's, just, it's just making them feel alive. Because he, see, you say, well, how does this relate to these other three burdens? i got to bear those. This burden will give you meaning. And the meaning that it gives you will, be, will, will buttress the other burdens. It will help you carry the other burdens. 
and it will involve the supernatural. God will release supernatural power to help take care of your bills when he knows you're going to serve him with your material world and your material things. You're going to serve him with your house. You're going to serve him with your car. You're going to serve him with your time. God has supernatural ways to stretch your dollars. God has supernatural ways to carry the burden of concerns to take care of your kids and take care of your family. God has supernatural ways to take care of that you can't imagine because you pick up the burden of meaning, and the burden of meaning helps buttress the burdens of life. Not only that, the, burdens, the burden of ministry and the burden of meaning will break the power of the habits of sin. Some of us just come to this cross. Oh, God, forgive me my sin. And God says, oh, you're forgiven. Go on, son. You're forgiven. But you go back and do the same thing, right? You know the one of the reasons you keep going back and doing the same thing? Because you don't have a ministry. You don't have people that are counting on you. I remember when I was drawn to, the, to darkness in my own life. And I remember being in that dark place. But the thing that kept me from going to the point of no return and the thing that caused me to come back was all of your faces. All of you. All of you, I, I can't do that to them. I, I can't hurt them. Because Paul talked about the Philippian church. He said, you're my crown. You're my joy. You're what gives me meaning in life. It's the people that I care about that gives me meaning in life. And that meaning breaks the power of sin. You won't mess around with things that destroy your life. If you have people that you love and that you care about, and if you have a ministry and if you have a purpose, it will save you from the powers of darkness. I'm telling you, it will work. Some of you need to get back to doing God's work because there's salvation in it. Do you have the counterweight of calling on your life? Oh, it may not take, it may not be crystal clear like Paul's. Go take the gospel to the Palestinians. It may not be like that. It probably won't be. Like the Bible teaches that some of us have the ministry of helps. We're just called to help people. That's holy, man. That's real holy. That's high stuff. On the other hand, you might have one of those clear assignments, like taking the good news to people with special needs and their families, or show God's love to immigrants, or become a voice of truth to those caught up in dangerous ideologies. We need that right now. Your clarity right now is not as important to me as your posture toward Jesus. Look at Acts chapter 9, verse 5. Who are you, Lord, Paul says. He's knocked off the beast on the road to Damascus. This is where it happened. Paul asked, and the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. Listen, I'm talking about you walking out of here with your divine assignment. Maybe you won't walk out with the assignment, but you'll walk out with the capacity for it. That's what I want to see. 
Paul was on the ground looking up to Jesus while the question sounds preposterous. I think it describes a mentality I've seen. Are you, are you looking up at Jesus? Are you looking down at Jesus? Are you looking down at him? Go, God, take care of some of my concerns, Jesus. Jesus, would you take care of those bills? Would you, would you take care of my wife? Would you take care of my husband? Would you take care of my kids? Would you take care of my, oh yeah, give me that job that I want. Give me that promotion that I want, God, while you're at it. Okay, Jesus. I'll see you later. I'll see you next Sunday, Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my request here. I'll see you next Sunday, and I, I hope you come through, okay? Or, or the burden of distractions. and Jesus, oh, God, Jesus, you know, just it would really be nice if I could, if I could go to that country club this summer, you know? Oh, Jesus, come on. I, I, just, I know there's souls who need Jesus over there. Or, or Jesus, I messed up again, Jesus. It's me again, Lord. <laughs> Forgive me. Thank you. I'll see you next time I, I blow it. <laughs> Thank you for being my psychologist. Jesus, you are wonderful. <laughs> when you go to here, you're on the ground looking up at Jesus. You're saying, Jesus, tell me what I must do. That's what happened. Now, don't, it, it, don't misunderstand me. Christ did not make Paul feel small and diminished at all. No way. It was a feeling of, mis, of immense honor. You may have seen that video clip this week of Maya Angelou and this young girl calling her Maya. Did you see that? And <laughs> Maya Angelou goes, to you, I'm Mrs. Angelou. <laughs> when you meet Jesus, it's not, hey, Jesus, it's Lord the emperor of emperors, because Caesar was now calling him Lord. The Greek word is kurios. Paul used the same word that they were using for Caesar. That's the, that was the frame of reference. That Caesar, they had emperor worship now, and Caesar was saying, I am Lord. And so Paul hears a voice out of heaven, and he looks up, and he doesn't know who it is, but he knows it's Lord. He knows it's the supreme emperor of the world that has spoken to him. That's what needs to happen in your heart today is you need to say, Lord, the supreme emperor of the world is daring to speak to me. How honored I am. Then Paul hears the words from Jesus, go and you will be told what to do. You, you'll be told what you must do. My question for you today is, are you ready and willing to find out what you must do? Have you had your what I must do with my life moment? In other words, has fulfilling Christ's mission for your life gone to the top of your priority list? That's what I want our prayer focus to be during response time today. God, I'm going down front. God, I'm going to reach for the communion elements with one thing in mind, to discover what I must do. Prayer partners, will you come right now? I want to pray. And I believe there's several of you here this morning say, you know, Pastor, I, I, I want to get in the groove of what God wants me to do with my life. And I want to I surrender my life to God today. I just want to pray a prayer of surrender, saying, God, take my life. Use me, God. I dedicate my life to you. Use me any way you want to use me. God, I trust you that if I will care about the burden of caring for others and the burden of alleviating human suffering, you will supernaturally take care of me owning a house, take care of me 
having children and loving those children. And you, you will supernaturally seek you first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. You can trust him, guys. You can trust him. You can trust him. You take care of the king's business. He'll take care of yours. I promise you. I guarantee it. Father, in Jesus' name, as we enter into this place of holy ambition and this place of committing to be what you want us to be, God, help people who are afraid not to be afraid. Help people who think you're going to overburden their life and overstress their life and they're not going to have any more privacy or they're never going to have any opportunity for any distractions. Show, show them that it's just a lie from the pit of hell, that you are a good God and a loving God and you always want, you always give us what's best for us and what's best for the people we love. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's enter into response time. Amen.